Hey, all the elementary kids are dismissed to their classrooms now. Good job, guys. Man, the band's fire this morning, huh? Well, hey, I want to start off by reminding you all, in case you forgot, there are only two types of people in this world. There are people that use instruction manuals, and there are people that do not. We're going to find out what kind of person you are this morning. Raise your hand if you tend to use instruction manuals when you assemble a new gadget or piece of equipment. Oh, wow. Why wouldn't you? Hey, get on up here. You're preaching today. Amen. That's good. Raise your hand if you don't have time for instruction manuals. You like to wing it. Okay, there's quite a few. I knew Dudek would raise his hand. For the second group, I was doing some Google searches, and I came across a really stupid quote from the 90s show, Home Improvement, Tim the Tool Man Taylor, tough guy. He said, real men don't use instruction manuals. They, you know, that's really just the manufacturer's opinion on how this thing should be assembled. But why do so many people choose to not follow instructions? In many areas of life, you know, God's word is filled with a lot of good guidelines on how to live. But a lot of us still choose not to follow along with what he says. And the root of our unwillingness to follow his instructions comes down to this. We don't trust that God is good. We might believe some things about him. Yeah, that's that's nice. But we don't really trust he's good. But we've got to go back to what we said at the beginning of this sermon series, that by our nature, we are what? Deserving of wrath. And in spite of that, God still pursued us, chose us, adopted us into his family, seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. What do we not trust about him? So regardless of how you feel about instruction manuals, they certainly do serve a purpose, and they can prevent a lot of heartache and wasted time and energy. Um, And for our context today, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about as we dive back into Ephesians. We've mentioned several times in this series, the first half, chapters 1 through 3, are all about who God is, who we are. Second half, chapters 4 through 6, is how do we take these truths and live it out, okay? How do we live out being children of the Almighty God Pastor Bob ended his message a couple weeks ago by saying, when folks walk through our doors on Sunday morning, they are watching to see how we interact, how we do at loving one another. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, people are watching us. They're watching us at our places of work. They're watching us in our college classrooms, at the gym, wherever you might find yourself. They want to know. What's different about them? Why should I change the way that I live just because they're proclaiming this Jesus? They want to see evidence that we live a different life. And so that's what we're really going to talk about today. So if you've ever wondered, what does it look like practically to follow Jesus day in and day out? Today's message is for you. Um, So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, I'm going to have uh, Kinsey Miller come forward. She's going to be reading for us. Ephesians chapter 4. A lot of Bibles actually have this section titled, instructions for Christian living. 
It should be page 1667 in your pew Bible. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, having, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All right, so Paul starts off his instructions by reminding them to not live like the Gentiles, to not live like unbelievers. He says their life is basically pointless. They're separated from God, their hearts are hardened. They've went off the deep end. They have indulged themselves in any type of pleasure and lust that they want. They do what they want whenever they want. The only thing that matters to them is themselves. And Paul's saying, don't live like that. Don't be like that. That is not who you are. That's not the real you now. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. The old man, my old life, my former life before Christ, the I was... If you remember, we're going to talk about that in here in a little bit. That's been crucified on the cross with King Jesus. Put off the old self and put on the new self. What is Paul talking about? And I want to be clear from the front that this is not possible if you have not accepted God's call out of darkness into life. Okay? So if you're on the fence about Jesus, you're not even sure what you believe about God, you will not be able to live out the things that we're going to discuss today because the Spirit has to reside within you in order for these things to be possible. So think of old clothes, hopefully kind of a fun analogy here. Think of old, uh, your old self as old clothes. How many of you, if I were to look inside your closet, would I find some old clothes that probably need to be donated or completely thrown away? Raise your, raise your hand. Oh, wow, most of us. Yeah. See, old clothes, they're familiar, right? They're comfortable. They have memories, right? We like to cling to them. Paul's saying, hey, those old clothes, they got to go, okay? New clothes in Christ have to be put on. Imagine you go to Kohl's, and you're trying, all, you know, you want to get some new, you want to look fresh, 
want to get some new wardrobes. And so one of the things you want to try on is a jacket or maybe a new coat. So you go into one of those tiny little dressing rooms and you try on your new jacket, but you're wearing your old jacket. That would be kind of stupid in a, in a sense, right? Because you don't get an accurate picture. Does this thing really fit? Most people don't do that, except to me. So I got a photo for you guys from myself 15, about 15 years ago in college. Lord have mercy. So I'm wearing a Hurley jacket. Who is clapping? Gosh. I'm wearing a Hurley jacket. I don't know, trying to be like a surfer dude. On top of that, I'm wearing a polyester jacket. And if that wasn't dumb enough, I'd rock in a cowboy hat with fire flames. So thankfully, I have learned, I've learned in life that if you have to wear multiple jackets to stay warm, it's time to just put a coat on, okay? So I have grown and matured as I've gotten older. I promise you guys. Or how about this example? Let's say you got to mow. I'm mowing the lawn after church today, okay? Or you take a long run with some of your buddies from school or you hit the gym for a couple hours and you are disgusting, okay? You're covered in sweat, you hop in the shower, you're excited to get clean. You get out of the shower and you realize you have no clean clothes. Anybody had that predicament, okay? Let's imagine all you have to put on are the clothes that you just took off from running. That would be disgusting, right? Some of you are like, you would smell so bad and you'd be miserable all day sitting in soaking, soggy, dirty clothes, okay? That would be stupid. How many of us, this would be stupid too, get out of the shower, put on a fresh new shirt, and then intentionally put on dirty pants? Nobody would do that in their right mind if you had the choice to put on clean pants. We can logically say that is stupid, but yet we try to live that way a lot, don't we? Try to take a little bit of Jesus here, but yet hold on to our past, right? Just a little bit. Old clothes and new clothes don't really mesh that well together. Our old life prior to Christ does not mesh with the new life that he has given us. Our old life before encountering the love of God was filled with deceitful desires. We operated as though we were the center of the entire universe. We loved money. We gave ourselves over to our lustful desires. We were slaves to self, lost and hopeless. And Paul is telling his readers here and us, that's not who you are now. That's not who you are. You've been made new. You are a new creation. You are no longer a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of heaven. You're no longer a slave to yourself or to sin. You are a slave to the almighty God, King Jesus. Check out what the prophet Isaiah had to say about this. I think we have a slide here. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Many of you are familiar with that. So the younger son, he asked his father for his inheritance before he even died, which is basically the same as, Dad, I wish you were dead. A major slap in the face. He leaves the country, spends all his money in wild living. He becomes so desperate just to survive. He takes a job feeding pigs, just to eat something. 
at rock bottom, filled with shame, guilt, humility, total embarrassment, he decides, I'm going to go back to my father and just ask to be one of his servants. I don't even deserve the right to be reinstated as his son again, but maybe, maybe he'll let me at least be his slave, one of his servants. So as he approaches the home, right, the father sees him from a distance. It says his heart is filled with compassion. He runs towards his son. He embraces him. He gives him a kiss. He looks at his servants, the father does, and he says, go bring him the best robe and put it on him. Go get him a ring, put it on his fingers. Get him sandals, put those on his feet. What a beautiful image of the new self that we have been given in Christ. The clothes that we now wear gifted to us freely by the Father, they make us radiant with glory because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And all that we can do is shine his glory to others when we believe it and when we live it out. He's covered us and he has made his home in us. And these new clothes, this this new self is not something, thank God, that we have to work for to experience. The work has been accomplished. It's a matter of maturing into who we already are. Check out this quote from John Lynch in the book, The Cure. He says, nothing you believe and depend upon is more magnificently freeing than this single truth. You are no longer who you were, even on your worst day. Trusting and leaning upon Christ in you is the source of every shred of strength, joy, healing, and peace. God has given us the DNA of righteousness. We are saints. Nothing we do will make us more righteous than we already are. Nothing we do will alter this reality. God knows our DNA. He knows that we are Christ in me. And he's asking us to join him in what he knows is true. Last week, if you were here, we did an exercise where each of us were given a silhouette. And on one side, we wrote, I was, right? Kind of made a list of the person that I was or you were prior to knowing Christ, right? So perhaps you wrote down, man, I was extremely prideful, arrogant. And on the other side, we wrote, I am becoming, not that we're a finished product, but since coming to Christ, I am becoming, I am maturing into someone who is. So maybe for that person, I'm maturing, I'm becoming patient. I'm becoming teachable, right? I'm becoming humble. And so we're going to, I want to open the floor up and hear from a few people. What did you write on the second page of that silhouette? Who are you becoming in Christ? So maybe you weren't here, but you could still answer this. So when you reflect back on your old life, your old self, who are you becoming right now in Christ? What is Christ maturing you to be like? What did you write for that part? So the floor is open. Anyone can share. Yes. You're becoming more gracious. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. What else? Yeah, the, oh, one second, Donna. You're becoming humble. So you were prideful. There's, so there's, there's, yeah, there's no pride anymore, right? <laughs> becoming, yes. Good. You're not near as judgmental. Okay, praise God for that, right? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? 
Here's what I wrote. So we did this exercise as a staff. I was blind to my sin and my pride and my selfishness. And I am becoming aware of my depravity and learning to lay down my selfish desires at the feet of Jesus. And this has been a journey in my life, to say the least. Because I lived, I've lived most of my life thinking that I'm a pretty good person. So when you think that, you don't think you're that bad off, it's pretty difficult to really grasp how messed up you are. But as I have pressed into God's heart throughout the years, and as, as I have looked to him, the living embodiment of righteousness, I've come to be aware of how flawed I am. So God has been teaching me kind of two different aspects. He's making me aware of my depravity and understanding that. And he's also growing me in understanding how loved I am by him. When those two things are taking place, you have the possibility of really, really living the life that God has created us to live. Paul tells us in verse 23, if you still have your Bibles out, he says to be made new in the attitude of our minds. See, he knows this issue is not some type of behavior modification, tweaking a few things on the outside and then we'll be good. Our minds have to be made new. And we know that they've, they've been made new. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.16, for those of you that go to my support group, we have the mind of Christ. It's ours. We don't have to strive for it. We've got to figure out what's getting in the way from us living it out. Okay? When our mind is renewed, the way that we think about God, ourselves, and others, when it's renewed, everything changes. It changes the way that we treat people. It changes the way that we handle conflict. It changes the way we spend our energy and our time and our money. Everything changes. So that's what Paul's talking about. If you look down verses 25 through 32, he's just giving practical, numerous practical examples here of what it looks like to have a renewed mind, to put off the old and to put on the new life. And verse 25 gives us the first example of what to put off. He says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. In other words, if you were a liar before Christ, that life has to die. Okay? Be honest. Be honest and truthful in your interactions and in your dealings with others. That's the new self you were called to be. He continues in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That old self, that man or woman that you used to be that loved to gossip about people. You love to criticize others. You love to point out all the flaws, all the things that you think they do wrong. That person has got to go. The new life is someone, when you speak, let your words be like honey to the soul of another person. Sweet. Let them bring life, hope, healing, and encouragement. One of my biggest struggles, Paul forgot to list it here for some reason, is idolizing comfort. Anybody here idolize comfort? Oh, wow. Okay. That's not good, but usually a lot of times you don't raise hands. Yeah, so what I mean, I love for my life to be comfortable. I like things to be easy. So when I wake up every day, I have a 
I have an idea of how I want that day to go, how I want my work day to go, how I want my home day to go. Nothing rubs against my idol of comfort more than when I'm at home. So let me give you a real life. My wife, she doesn't even know what I'm going to say, but she knows where I'm going. Real life example. This was last week. My wife, Sarah, made some delicious Mexican food. Mm. I was ready to throw down, right? Got my plate, sat down. Within, I'm not even kidding you, within five seconds, my two-year-old goes, Daddy, I poopied. Crap. Okay. Walk her all the way down the hallway. <laughs> Tell you no. Walked her all the way down the hallway, changed her diaper. You got to wash your hands because that's gross, right? Wash my hands, get situated, set back down. All right, it's business time. Within 10 seconds, I'm not kidding. My four-year-old, Daddy, I got to go potty. <laughs> Freaking kidding me. So I take her potty, get her off the toilet. I'm helping wash her hands, and literally out loud, I scream, Why can't my kids do anything? And I look back now, and I'm like, dude, what is wrong with me? I mean, I acted like an idiot because my kids made me wait an extra five minutes to eat, okay? Thankfully, God is patient, and he's kind with me. And so I've got to rid myself of my love for my life of ease in order to love those around me without lashing out in stupid anger. I don't even think Sarah responded when I yelled that. She's kind of like, wow. But man, it's hard. I mean, when you got Mexican food waiting, <laughs> that struggle is real. That's hard. If you've been paying attention at all today, I'm sure you've noticed a pattern, okay? As we put off the old life, as we stop living a certain way, we put on the new life, and we start living a certain way. It's this off and on pattern. And putting on the new self is a deliberate decision every moment of every day to live in awareness that I am no longer who I was. I'm no longer who I once was. Even though I want to lash out in anger towards someone, I have to remember that God has showered me with his love, right? And all he's done is love and forgive me. So how can I, in clear conscience, not forgive somebody else who's wronged me? Those two things cannot go together, okay? We have missed the gospel when we are unwilling to pass on what we have so graciously received from him. And Paul really drives home this, this idea of putting off the old and putting on the new self in our final two verses, if you want to look at those. Verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Rid yourselves of those things. Put that way of living to death, he says. And 32 lays on the new self we should put on. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Live as Christ lived. Treat others like he treated them. And those things are possible for us because he lives inside of us, right? He has made is his home in our hearts, and so he is the one that empowers and equips us to live lives that radiate his glory to a hurting world. And I want to put this as clear as possible, guys. Our lives as followers of Jesus have to be set apart from people of this world. There has to be a difference in the way that we live. 
than in the way that non-believers live. And there's a lot of Christians, there's not much of a difference when I look at their lives and how somebody who doesn't go to church or have anything to do with God lives. We start off as spiritual infants, and hopefully we mature throughout our lives into spiritual adults. Obviously, it takes time. It's a process, right? We are learning an entire new set of rules that we're playing by when we enter in to the kingdom of God. It's a completely countercultural life. God has transformed us, no doubt about it, but we have a role to play, don't we? We have a role to play in the transformation process. Making daily decisions to live like Jesus in the way that we think, in the way that we act and respond to the world around us. We can't have one foot in, oh, I love you, Jesus, and one foot out, man, I love this world, clinging on to everything. If we go back to our clothes analogy, think about this. New clothes don't put themselves on, do they? Old clothes will stay on as long as you want, right? Putting on new clothes, is a, it's, it's a deliberate choice. It's an intentional choice every day. Think about, Bob gave this example, it's kind of funny. Think about when people lose themselves, right? And they just lay around their house, bum around their house, wearing the same clothes day after day, eating ice cream, and they're just depressed and whatever. And they start to stink, right? They're miserable, People probably don't want to be around them, right? It's a deliberate decision to remind ourselves every day, hey, I'm a new person. I have new clothes. Think about this example. If, imagine you're the king of a country. When that king wakes up, he knows he's the king. But he puts that crown on. That's a visual reminder of who he really is. And he knows, man, there's implications for what I'm going to do today. Like people's lives are at stake based on how I live and the decisions that I'm going to make. Isn't that true of us? Aren't people's lives at stake based on how we live, how we interact with others? There are people in our church, man. They wear jewelry, necklaces, bracelets with crosses on them, reminding them they were dead to Christ. Now they are alive. They were dead, they were dead to their sin. Now they're alive in Christ. <laughs> Don't be dead to Christ. <laughs> That's not what I'm preaching. I know people here that got a lot of tattoos, Bible verses, or Christian images, right? Reminding them of who they once were and how they have been forgiven and accepted into the family of God. We've got to remind ourselves what is true. Think about these questions. Are people compelled to seek Christ after they spend time with us? Do people walk away after spending time with you thinking, man, there's something different about him. There is something different about her. The way that she talks, the way that she handles difficult things. Do you believe and live as though you are truly the pleasing aroma of Christ? Are people attracted to Christ because they see him so clearly in you? We, see, we just sang a song, it's everything or nothing, right? One of my old spiritual mentors is a Catholic priest up at Conception Abbey Monastery. He's a New Testament professor up there. I remember him telling me years ago, he said, you know, following Jesus is like going to a grocery store when you're hungry. 
it'll cost you everything. Oh, yes, it will. He also said, if you're not going to devote your entire life to Christianity, to following Jesus, you might as well just buy a one-way ticket to Vegas. Because what are you doing? And while that statement is true and like, whoa, it's intense, it takes us time, right, to understand that. We don't grasp that when we're a spiritual infant, the call to follow Jesus and die to ourselves. It's a process. God knows that it is hard for us to rid ourselves of clinging to this world. He knows that, right? So that's why he's kind of slowly pulling back our fingers. Hey, you don't need to love money like that. Don't live that way. I got something better for you. You don't need to hold so tightly to this bitter spirit. I've got a better life for you. Trust me. He is so patient with us as we mature and as we learn what it really means to surrender to him. And where many of us get tripped up is this aspect, trying to follow Jesus while hanging on to our former life. I love you, Jesus, but man, I love blowing my money on this stuff, right? These gadgets, these shoes, these toys. God, I want to follow you, but I really like sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm, I'm not ready to give that up yet, God. It doesn't work that way. Think about the story of Joseph. This is pretty funny. Think of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, okay? A married woman. She wanted him, okay? It said she made numerous attempts to get him to have an affair with her. I'll tell you what Joseph did not do. He didn't say, hey, honey, let's sit down here on the bed. Let's make a long list of all the reasons we shouldn't have an affair. He didn't do that. It says he ran. He fled. He got the heck out of there faster than Jeff Gordon taking off in NASCAR, right? He was gone. He knew, I can't put myself in this situation. I've got to get out of here if I'm going to be the man of purity and integrity that God wants me to be. He fled the scene immediately. So where do you find yourself today? What old clothes or old way of living needs to be put off in your life? What new clothes New way of living in Christ need to be put on. Do you believe that you are righteous in him? Or are you still trying to prove that you're worthy of being loved? God is maturing us. He's maturing you each day to be more radiant like Jesus. But we've got to partner with him on that journey. We have a role to play in our spiritual development and in the spiritual development of others. Our lives are made up of thousands of little moments every day. May we choose to be obedient in those little moments and choose to believe who we really are. Chosen, pursued, loved, and adored children and saints of God Almighty. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good. We thank you for this word this morning. God, we pray that we would be crucified with you, that our old self, our old clothes, our old way of living, God, that we would truly let it die on the cross. God, help us to put to death that life, Lord, and to put on new clothes. God, the clothes that you have given us, clothing us in your righteousness. When you look at us, God, you see righteousness. Because we have been covered by the blood of Jesus. 
God, help us to do our part, whatever that looks like, to remind ourselves of what is true, God. That we are saints, that you are a good father who is completely trustworthy of our entire lives, and that you have our best intentions in mind, God. God, help us not to look for an easy life, a life with no difficulty, no struggle, God. But help us to turn our eyes to you, regardless of where that might take us. This life, there will be challenging, there will be challenging times, there will be suffering and persecution, Lord, but you give us the hope and the endurance to run the race faithfully, God. So we love you, Lord. Pray whatever you're speaking to people. God, help us to respond obediently and to turn our eyes to you and to put on the clothes that you have given us and stop wearing old dirty rags from our past life. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand?